Well, because we are doing a series called um, Reaching People Where They Are, I want to do something a little unique and unusual. And so I have a friend of mine that I have asked to come just be with us today. Um, you know, a lot of times when we talk about people wanting to tell people about Jesus, that you know, one of the struggles that some people have is that, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? And there's a good possibility that's going to happen. And let me just say this, that there's nothing really that's more powerful than the testimony of what Jesus has done in your life personally. Even if you don't know the answer to all of their questions, and you probably won't, it's okay. You, you still have the ability, you still have the calling to share. One of my favorite incidents is in John chapter 9. There was a guy that was born blind, and he had all these religious guys around him asking him questions. He didn't know the answer to a lot of them. Can you imagine how intimidating that would be? Maybe you're like, you may feel his pain right now. But I love what he ultimately said. He looked at him, he goes, look, I, I don't know. And that's where a lot of people say, well, I guess this conversation is over because I don't know. That. But this one, he didn't stop there. He said, I don't know. He said, all I know is I was blind and now I see. And you can't argue with a changed story, can you? You can't argue with what Jesus has done in your life and how he's transformed your story. And so, and so if you have that, 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 that's a good place to start. But we're going to deal with just some questions that a lot of times people that maybe haven't made a decision to receive Jesus as their Savior to make him Lord of their life, have not stepped over the line, or if you're a new believer, a new follower, that you may have these questions, or maybe you've been, you know, walk with God for a while and you still haven't answered some of these questions. But these are questions when it comes to reaching people where they are. They're kind of basic questions for some of you, but for others of you, they may be questions you've been asking for a long time. And so um, I have this friend named Tony Cook. Many of you are familiar with him. His daughter, Laura, also led, helped lead worship around here for the longest time and we love her but this guy like he is I'm gonna really put a lot of pressure on he's like a Bible scholar I mean he's brilliant and so I'm just glad that he's here with just us peasants today just trying to help us you know as we as we learn and all that kind of stuff how's that huh so <laughs> Anyway, what an introduction, right? So anyway, I asked him to come, and he'd be a part of this. I want to ask him some questions. So do me a favor. Give my friend Tony Cook a hand as he comes up here. Good to see you, buddy. Let me turn this on for you right here. So how was that for an introduction? Is that like one of the best introductions you've ever gotten? Yeah, thank you. And I'll walk on water here after service. Yeah, there you go, yeah. Appreciate it. It's a shallow pool. Anyway, um... I think they gave you the short chair. I, I, you know, in the earlier service, I had that chair, and I felt like I was kind of looking up to you. You know, I was like, "That's right, you're you're sitting at my feet now." And so we're glad about that. Um, like the ice cream out there, too much of that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can, can I introduce a Absolutely, I'd love for you to do Lisa, that. My lovely wife, would you stand up, please? This is my wife, Lisa. And she, we've been married for 43 years, and uh, just loving life and loving each other and have some good friends here today, the Renners. Could you all stand up? Rick and Denise Renner, Joel Renner, Kalina and Anya. Uh, all of them are fresh from Russia. So thank you. You may know Pastor Rick and, and Denise's ministry in uh, Moscow. They've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ there for many years and having a great impact. You probably know the uh, television ministry that is there also. So we're so thankful. Some of our very dearest friends. So just wanted to make let you know that they're with us today. Yeah, we truly are. We are honored to have you guys. And I mean, they 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 have a great ministry in different parts of the world. And and uh, the book, um, I I just call it the script, sparkling gems. Uh, if you're a studier and that type of thing, there's two volumes of that. You should really get it, man. It's just a great. Great book. And so, uh, yeah, and then uh, doing something on the seven letters, uh, just pretty in-depth stuff. So um, 
uh, so just thank you. We're honored to have you guys here. Let's give them another hand. Just let them know we're glad they're here. So Tony, do you want me to pull that chair up for you a little bit? Do you feel a little? I'm looking up at you. That's that, right. you know, I, I like it that way. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, these are just some questions, you know, that, that people ask a lot of times. And, um, you know, sometimes they're, they're questions that people may use to, to not make that step over the line. And, and sometimes maybe it's been one of those things that you've been hesitant to share with somebody because of questions like this, because you're like, I don't really know what to tell them. I've wondered that myself. And so, and again, like I said, for some of you, it may be basic, but they're things that, that are good to us to review. So, so let's get started, all right? So let's start with this first one here, and that is, is that if God, if God is good, why, why is there evil in the world? Why is there still evil in the world if he's good? Yeah, great question. You know, one of the first things we learn in the Bible is that God is good. Yeah. He created everything, and the Bible says that when God had gone through all these stages of creation, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, and at the end of it all, he, he said, it is very good. And we just see in the, in the Bible, we see a God of great benevolence, a God of great love, a God who creates good things. In uh, James chapter 1, we read that, uh, that God is the source and the author of every good and every perfect gift comes down from Him. But something's gone terribly wrong, hasn't it? Yeah. Something has really uh, brought chaos and evil into the world. I mean, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that there's evil in the world. Something went wrong. And the Bible does give us a lot of clarity on that. It began with what we might refer to a cosmic rebellion where uh, a class of God's creatures named angels uh, under the leadership of one named Lucifer rebelled against God and uh, brought chaos and disorder. Uh, God is still supreme. God still reigns. He, he was never in fear of losing his godness or authority, but it definitely brought something into the universe uh, that was evil. Right. And then when God created man, uh, God gave us a choice. God gave man a free will, and God said, I'm setting before you, basically to borrow from another area of Scripture, I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. And we know that our first forefathers, and Adam and Eve, um, that they chose badly. And it brought death, it brought sin into the human race. It allowed Satan, that fallen angel Lucifer, uh, spiritual access. And the Bible says that now God, uh, that Satan is the God, small g, Satan is the God of this world. When Jesus came, he, he brought us the character and the nature of God. He said, I have come. But he said there's a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said... I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Yeah. And so God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. And sometimes people say, well, if God knew that all this was going to happen, then why did, why did God even bother creating us? And I like to use this illustration. How many parents are here today? Um, when, when you decided to bring a child into this world, did you know that that little baby would probably at some point have diaper rash. Did you, did you realize that? Did you realize that when that little baby became a toddler and was beginning to walk, it would probably fall down and scrape its knee or bump its head? Did you know that your child was going to have that 
negative experience. Did you know that when your child began to ride a bike, it was going to fall on the sidewalk and scrape its knee? And, and did you know that your child was going to, you know, grow up older and be rejected by their first love? You know, yeah. did you know that your child was going to probably have pimples when they got to middle school? You know, you knew some of these negative things were going to happen, but you believed in your child. You believed that life was greater uh, than not giving life. And God loves us so much that He wanted us to have an opportunity. And the Bible tells us that we are to overcome evil with good. And Jesus said that we are to pray that God's will, that His kingdom will come, that His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which implies that it's not automatically done. Much of what we see happening in the world today is, is the result of, of evil people and demonic influences and things like that. God is good and there is evil in the world. And we are told not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. Well, you know, one of the things I think about, Tony, and I, and that, you know, when God created the earth and with Adam, you know, he said, this is... Uh, I'm, I'm entrusting you with this, you know, that for this period of time, it's yours to kind of do with as you see. And whenever, whenever he um, yielded to the enemy, whenever he yielded to the devil in the garden, in a sense, it was kind of like Adam at that moment going, I'm, I'm going to let him have access. Is that, would you say it's an accurate way of putting it? He gave him authority, actually gave him keys, as yeah. it were. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and as a result of that, you know, sin enters the world and and, um, you know, all of us, since Adam, you know, I mean, it's, uh, we would gladly, you know, own that we're not perfect. I, I remember reading somewhere, and this really spoke to me too, that one thing in this, and maybe it's been this way in every generation, but I know in this generation that, you know, um, you know me having to, me being able to choose for myself and do what I want to do, you know, that just, you know, it's, it's my will, it's my free will, that, you know, that we'll march for the right to exercise that and that type of thing. It's just such a big thing. And yet when we encounter the pain of somebody else exercising their free will, then we want to blame God, you know, as opposed to living with a, you know, a surrendered, you know, will towards him. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of what you're, one of the things you're elaborating on there, I fully agree with is that we want to say that everything that happened, that God has done it. And that's just, that's just not the case, is it? Before sin came into the picture, everything was perfect. Yeah. When we get to what we would call the eternal state, you know, when uh, sin has been totally removed from the earth, Satan bound and so on, when we enter into the eternal state, once again, there will be nothing that hurts, nothing that brings pain, nothing that causes sorrow. We're kind of in that transitional period right now. And, and the Bible says, you know, that when Jesus went to the cross, he won the ultimate victory, but that victory is being realized in stages. Yeah. When there's going to be a day we're going to get our new glorified bodies. I could use that. I could use yeah, that. Yeah, so, I wouldn't sink so much yeah, in this chair yeah, yeah. if I had a glorified body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, at any rate, you know, there's coming that time, and, and it's not that we want to just paint this picture where we're just stuck on heaven and that's all we think about. You know, we need God not just in the sweet by and by, but in the rotten here and now. Uh, but, but we are overcomers, and, and the job of the church is to be light in a dark world. Uh, the job of the church is to be salt in a corrupt world, and we're to be part of the answer. 
And we're not to be overcome with evil. Paul said in Romans, we are to overcome evil with good. Yeah, you know, part of the answer. one of the questions that would kind of go along with this, sometimes people would say, well, if God, if God is good, why would he send people to hell? So, you know, what, what would your response to that question be? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. You know, people always ask it, and, and, and how a question is asked is always very important. Uh, why would a good God send people to hell? And, you know, we never ask the question, why, why would God send people to heaven? You know, we're kind of negatively... That's a good you know, point, yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is, if I can just, without playing too heavily into semantics here, it's not that God sends anybody anywhere. People make a choice. The Bible says, uh, 1 Timothy, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Peter said, uh, he said, um, uh, I'm trying to think, let me get my scripture here. I've I would quote it, it for you, but it's good for you to look it yeah, up. So, yeah. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah. 2 Peter 3 9, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Yeah. So we come back to that element of that God has done certain things for us, He did not make us robots. And. God doesn't just arbitrarily and randomly say, well, I want you to go to heaven, I want you to go to hell. And people are like, well, here's what the Bible says, and everybody knows John 3.16, uh, for the most part. But people don't look at the verses after it. It says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So sin is what you know sends people to hell, but God provided a way of escape. And, and this, is why, this is why church is so important. This is why uh, missionaries uh, are, are so important. This is why your witness as believers is important because God wants everyone to know how much he loves them and that he does not want anybody going to hell. Yeah. It goes on to say, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that th the world through Him might be saved. He who does not believe in Him is is um, uh, he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So God has made a way of escape. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The church was given this commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. And you know, there's many people, they don't want to hear that. They just want to, they just want to think that, well, you know, just everybody's going to go to heaven and, and that type of thing. And we have to decide, is the Bible going to be our authority or is human reasoning and philosophical ponderings and sentimental mush, is that going to be the basis for what we believe and think? Jesus believed uh, in heaven and hell so much that he was willing to die on a cross, suffer a criminal's death, undergo scourging, whipping, beatings, shed the blood in his body, die on the cross to keep us from having to go to hell. God has done everything possible to give us a way of escape 
And, and it's more than that. Having a relationship with God is more than just, you know, fire insurance. But, but that is part of it. Right. Jesus died so that we would not have to go to hell. So God's done everything and he's, he's yearning. The Holy Spirit is pleading with people to give their hearts to God, to get right with God. It's not that God sends people to hell. It's that people reject God's offer of grace and forgiveness. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so one of the things you mentioned in there, you know, are we going to believe the Bible or not, uh, you know, in order to, the direction we come by, then um, I guess this question is, is that how do we know the Bible is really reliable? What, what you know, what confidence can I have? What things are there that says, besides, you know, faith is obviously a part of it. You know, we have, we have to have faith, but, but what other elements do we have that say this is a reliable text, I mean, that allow us to do yeah, that? Sure. I wrote down yesterday, and just so you know, we, we talked about all these questions ahead of time, and that's why I'm referring to some notes. I, I wish you hadn't told them that. I wanted them to think we were brilliant. So, I mean, anyway, yeah, so, yeah. On the spur of the moment. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, I wrote down uh, seven reasons why I believe the Bible is God's Word. These are just some personal things for me. Number one, Jesus himself believed the Old Testament entirely. Yeah. He quoted from it. He referred to it as the Word of God, which cannot be broken. Uh, he deemed it authoritative and reliable. He related the stories of the Old Testament as factual. Uh, he, he spoke of the Holy Spirit inspiring the Scripture. Uh, Jesus staked his entire life on the reliability and the accuracy of the Old Testament. Number two, and this is something people don't think about, but when you go back and study church history after the apostles you know, had lived and written what we call the books of the New Testament, the early church fathers, those that came after the original apostles who wrote the New Testament, they quoted so extensively from the New Testament that they say you can almost, even if you didn't have any Greek manuscripts, and I'm not talking about original, but I'm talking about copies. Sure. If you did not have any Greek manuscripts of Scripture, you could almost reconstruct the entire New Testament just by how the early church fathers quoted so heavily from it. So the reliability, there are around 5,000 uh, Greek manuscripts, some portions, some entire manuscripts, and the accuracy and the similarities in these, there's slight variances here and there, but like uh, uh, the spelling of a word or, um, you know, a, a, a synonym being used for another word, the, the scriptures are so accurate by even scientific standards going back to comparing ancient manuscripts with each other. But the early church fathers quoting, you know, gives tremendous uh, credibility. The prophecies of the Bible, you know, you quoted today Pastor Rick from Isaiah 53 about how that he bore our iniquities, he, he bore the punishment for our transgressions and so on. There are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of prophecies in the Bible about the coming of the Messiah that were fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dozens of them. And God was able through prophets of the Old Testament to give inspiration to paint a picture of what was going to come. And it came to pass, I mean, to the place where Jesus was born, Bethlehem. 
that he would be born of a virgin. All of those things attest to the veracity of Scripture. Uh, one thing that impresses me why I believe the Bible is God's Word is the men who wrote it. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, uh, uh, James, Jude, and so on. Every single one of them, with the exception of John, died for their faith. Yeah. And all any of those would have had to have done to save their life would be to say, I made that up. It wasn't really true. Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead. All of those individuals sealed their testimony with their own blood. And listen, people aren't going to die for something that they know is bogus. People may purport a fraud, but if it comes down to their own imminent death, you know, they'll squeal, I lied in a, in a heartbeat to save their life. I'll do it for a donut sometimes. A donut, you, yeah, yeah, so. Or ice cream, yeah, don't forget the ice cream. Uh, archaeological findings and textual research have pointed to the accuracy of the Bible through the centuries. I get regular updates through different news sources and, and biblical archaeology sites. They are constantly finding things in, that are 3,000 years old that confirm the Bible's accuracy. Wow. It's remarkable. Uh, and, and then we come back to one thing you were talking about. A sixth reason I believe the Bible is the Word of God is its power to change lives. Yeah. has been seen millions of times throughout history. The, the, the Bible is a story, but it's a, it's a, a story-changing story. Yeah. And as, as we look around this room here today, how many of your lives have been changed because the Spirit of God spoke to your heart from the Bible? That's good. You know, I, I think about that even from the standpoint, you know, the things that it deals with marriage. You know, think about the things that Paul wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. And even though it was, you know, hundreds of years ago, centuries ago, that today, if I will still love my wife the way Christ loved the church, it impacts my marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not ancient, you know, out-of-date counsel. It's counsel that's so eternally significant that still today it speaks to me along those lines. And, and that's part of the reason why we need the whole Bible. You know, some people just want to only focus on the New Testament, and that is our covenant. That is where I think we should probably spend the majority of our sure. time. But much of the Old Testament, it, it, you know, we're not under the law of Moses. Right. But much of the teaching of the Old Testament is not really exclusively confined to uh, the law of Moses and the animal sacrifices and things like that, which were all fulfilled in Christ. But for example, the book of Proverbs is it's not Old Testament. It's the eternal wisdom of God. Right. You know, the book of Psalms is it's not Old Testament per se. It's an Old Testament man, David, but he's pouring out his heart to God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, how do you say, well, we don't need that today. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need all that. It, really, to be honest, even the Ten Commandments, it would be good for our society to be reminded about, thou shalt yeah, what, not What kind of world would it be if nobody stole, not, yeah. nobody shed innocent yeah. blood, nobody did those kind of things, exactly. you know? You know, I, um, you mentioned this in the first service, I just, you know, that it was... A lot of people may not realize this, but, you know, the Bible wasn't just written by one individual. It was all inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't like, you know, if, if you ask some people who wrote the Bible, they may say, well, Jesus did. Well, 
No, he, you know, he, he didn't. It was over a 1,500-year period, and it flows together. And you gave just kind of a variation of the different types of people that authored it. Who, who, do you want to hear that? Yeah, let's do uh, The oneness or unity of the Bible is a miracle. It is a library of 66 books written by over 35 different authors over a period of approximately 1,500 years. Represented in the authors is a cross-section of humanity, educated and uneducated, including kings, fishermen, public officials, farmers, teachers, and physicians. Included in the subjects are religion, history, law, science, poetry, drama, biography, and prophecy. Yet its various parts are as harmoniously united as the parts that make up the human Bible. For 35 authors with such varied backgrounds to write on so many subjects over a period of 1,500 years in absolute harmony is a mathematical impossibility. It could not happen. Then how do we account for the Bible? The only adequate explanation is that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's good, you know, yeah, and I, I said this first service, I mean, because I know my people, I know where we're at and that type of thing, but how many of you, whenever he said that actually some of it was written by fishermen, kind of felt yourself lean in like, really? You know, I mean, it was one of those things where, honey, find out the books that those fishermen wrote, we're going to read that, you know, so, yeah. but um, yeah, just this, this variation of people from all steps of society uh, were a part of that. It just, again, just reveals kind of this, how supernatural this book is. And what you pointed out that just people say, well, you know, we don't have the originals anymore well, of anything that's 2,000 years old, no. right? You know what I mean? So, but, um, but yet on the other hand, just the, the copies that we have over and over again are just so close in comparison to each other that it's, it's like undeniable, yeah, right? You know? Very much. We'll, we'll, we have more questions, but we're running we're out of time. So we're going to start, we'll stop with this question right here. And that is, is that, it, is Jesus the, the only way to God and what makes him unique? Yeah. Jesus believed and proclaimed that he was the only way. And, and the picture that the Bible paints of Jesus really make him the unique person of the universe. There's never been anybody like him. Right. Now, he was 100% man. Let's not miss that. Right. But, but the Bible presents Jesus as God the Son who existed eternally with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 100% God and 100%, 100% man. 100% man. Yeah. yeah. And that's what happened in Bethlehem. That's yeah. when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus was unique in that he's the only one to, number one, to be born of a virgin, and that way he escaped the sin that was, you know, part of humanity. He was fully human, but it was without sin. And he lived a sinless life. And that qualified him to be the sacrifice for our sins. Nobody else could die for your sins because they all had their own sins. But Jesus was the sinless, spotless Son of God. And because that's who he was, he was able to be our substitute and our sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood for our forgiveness, and then he was raised from the dead to be able to offer righteousness to us, right standing with God, and acceptance, and the privilege of becoming the children of God. And Jesus himself said, and this is, we have to decide, is the Bible true? Is Jesus true? Jesus said, I am the way 
the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that word the, that's pretty significant. If he just said, I am a way, right. that would have been considerably yeah. different. Yeah, right? There but, could be many ways. And right. part of what makes him the way is his tomb is empty. Yeah. You go to the tombs of great religious leaders, great philosophical leaders throughout the world, and their tombs are there. But you go to Jesus' tomb, it is empty. It's been empty for 2,000 years. Now, when Jesus makes that kind of a claim, one of the brilliant minds of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, said, you cannot uh, in good conscience and with intellectual honesty say that, well, I, Jesus was just a good man. He was just a good teacher. You can't say that because Jesus was either Lord, you know, he is who he says he was. He was God in the flesh. He was the only way to the Father or he was a liar. Or, third option, he was a lunatic. Uh, it's called the trilemma. Jesus was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And there's no in-between options because if he was not the Son of God, if he was not the Savior of the world, if he was not the one who died and rose from the dead so that we could access relationship with God and enjoy heaven forever, if Jesus was not that and he knew that, then he's a liar. Yeah. He claimed to be something he knew was not true. On the other hand, if he was deluded and he wasn't that but thought he was, he's kind of crazy. He's kind of a lunatic. Right. So he either is who he says he is, he's Lord, or he's a liar or a lunatic, and everybody has to make that choice. Yeah, for him to make that claim and not mean it, there would have to, we could take away the moniker of being a good man because right. people have given their or lives for teacher. that stance, yeah. right? You know, so... So yeah, it is. It's it's either we believe what he said, or or we don't. You know, right. and it's and it, you know, and what you talk about the thing that does make him unique is is not just his pronouncement of who he is because other people had done that, but the fact that the resurrection validates mm -hmm. that he is who he said he is because, like you said, his mm -hmm. tomb is empty and what he did on the cross for us, and then you know the things that he did. But then there's still this community where we see him moving. I, I know. You guys have probably seen great things in Russia, you know, that God has done as a result of that, and just different things take place there, that, uh, and just all over the world, you know, there's different parts of the world today where people are celebrating and gathering together in community around the recognition mm -hmm. of that statement that Jesus made, that he is the way, right. he is the truth and the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very much. So I, I want us to do this, uh, we have more questions, but we're out of time, I, I, I want to close on this. And so I want to ask, let's, let's give Tony a big hand, just thanks for being here, and But I, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I, and I want us to do this. First of all, I want to give you an opportunity just personally in your, in your relationship with God to connect with him for just a minute. Maybe you have, maybe your life is good. I, you know, yeah, things are good. You know, you got, you know, there's not, a, you don't have any health issues, money issues, relationship issues. It's just good. Well, I want you to use this moment there in that secret place that only you and God see just to be grateful. Just to tell him how thankful you are. He hears that. And then, then if you're in here and you're dealing with some challenges personally, they could be with just some things from your past, some things that have done to you, or some things that you've done. Or there could be things you're going through right now personally or challenges that you have or, you know, in relationships or finances or health or just in your walk with God, just spiritually. I want you to just take a moment to just ask Him for that. To talk to Him about it.
I want to be quiet for just a moment and just give you just an opportunity that's there in your heart to connect with God.